Welcome to Mortals. A podcast where we explore how humans have dealt with death throughout history. From embalming and epitaphs to mourning and morgues. We are taking a look at rites, rituals, and practices from around the world. Mortals podcast is for the morbidly curious or the curiously morbid. This week, we are talking about I Am Dead, the video game. Does this podcast episode contain spoilers? I mean, I think it has to. Also be aware, this episode contains spoilers. Now let's get on to the show. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to season two, mortals. Woo! It's been a while. <laughs> you, me, the three of us, and anybody who's listening, welcome back. It's been a hot minute. It has been. How have you been? Well, I'm in a whole new apartment, so that's, that's fun, uh, which our listeners may or may not pick up on very quickly because I'm now directly on an ambulance route, so my apologies in advance. How about you, Christina? How are you? Oh, I'm I'm hanging in there, you know. <laughs> Life uh, continues. It uh, continues until it doesn't. <laughs> a more accurate thing could never be said. Well, uh, I have the honor of leading the first episode of season two of Mortals, and I wanted to just ease us on into the season. It's been a hot minute, as Mariah said. Um, and we're busy people moving and work and all this kind of stuff. So over my Christmas holidays, which by this point was a month and a half ago, <laughs> but over my <laughs> Christmas holidays, I was just browsing on my Nintendo Switch in the eShop for games. And I came across a game with a title that intrigued me. The title is I Am Dead. I was like, oh, I got to check this out. Curious about death, obviously, based on this podcast. Have to check out a game that's called I Am Dead, right? A perfect fit. Once I start explaining the plot of the game, you will understand why I had to immediately purchase it. You've been hyping this up for a while, so I'm very excited. And I purposefully forgot the name. Like, I went out of my way to erase <laughs> that fact from my brain so that I would come into this with nothing. So I'm <laughs> oh, very excited. Christia, you're going to love this. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> if we, if any of us were behind on our research already, uh... <laughs> well, I don't think you have a switch, but this game is available on many platforms. I know, Mariah, you do. I don't think Christia has a switch, but anyways, oh, okay. I'm a heathen. <laughs> heathen. But before we get into that, just to sprinkle us in, what's your relationship with video games and gaming? How do you like to? absorb your video games or do you like to absorb video games in your daily life video games were my brother's thing growing up we had an n64 in the house that he very much monopolized and it was all shooter games so i was like i don't particularly care very much um i go through phases with games where i'm like i want to play one specific game and i will go out of my way to play that for an intense but short period of time and then forget that i've ever played a video game before 
historically anyways, while I was in Japan, I did buy a Nintendo Switch because I really wanted to play Breath of the Wild, and I do play that more often than I used to, like more consistently, Animal Crossing and Smash and that sort of thing. But overall, I don't play a ton of video games, though I do consume a lot of video game journalism now. So Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I am not much of a video game person. I think this came up in the Death Gods. I think it was our, was that our first Morbid Medley, I believe? Yes. Talked about League of Legends, which is the only game I play with any level of consistency. But I did finish Jedi Fallen Order, which is one of the only video games I've ever finished in my entire life. So That's Star Wars, right? It sure is. That does not surprise <laughs> me at all then. And no I... shade, the only video game ever finished is the Untitled Goose game. Oh, that's valid. Yeah, so, so I'm so not I'm not super into video games. They're just not for me. It seems like a lot of time that I just don't have or I'd rather spend my spend my off time doing other things, but totally fair. That's uh that surprises me just in general because I wouldn't describe myself as someone who has video games as a hobby, but I have played a lot of video games. I've finished a lot of video games in my life. And obviously I mentioned I have a Nintendo Switch. I have a lot of games for it. I recently played through uh, Banjo-Kazooie, which is my favorite game of all time. They recently released it on the Nintendo Switch Online Plus N64, whatever the heck they've titled that pack as. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, best game ever. If you're listening and you have a Nintendo Switch and you have the online... N64 stuff, go play it right now. Amazing music, amazing storytelling. However, this episode is not about Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> it's about I Am Dead, but I'll get to it in just a second. My relationship with video games started very young. I remember growing up playing the Sega Genesis, which was the first console we had, playing Sonic 2. Although... I am a younger sibling, so my older sister was the one who was always playing Sonic. And if you have a two-player on that game, you can play as Tails, which is the little fox. But you don't actually affect basically anything. You're just kind of following behind the first player. So a lot of my childhood video gaming was very much being two-player to my sister's one-player. But as an adult, I've got a lot more into playing games on my own. I've played through and finished Breath of the Wild, which Mariah just mentioned. I've also played Untitled Goose Game. It's great. You get to terrorize Griffin McElroy as a goose. (laughs) Oh my god, I never thought of that. Um, I've played through recently Paper Mario, Origami King, which was really great. And many, many, many more games than that. That's just my little short list from the Switch in the last little while. But I Am Dead caught my attention in the eShop. It's an indie game. A single player puzzle adventure is how it's described, um, which is right up my alley because I'm not super into action, shoot 'em up, first person shooters, those kind of things. I'm more into adventures and finding things and puzzles and that kind of stuff, which is one of the reasons I love Banjo-Kazooie, which I mentioned. You want to go on an adventure. I do. I do want to go on an adventure. And this game is an adventure of sorts, an adventure in the afterlife. So I want to read you the description that the game is given on Steam. 
I Am Dead is a charming puzzle adventure game from the creators of Hohokam and Wilmot's Warehouse about exploring the afterlife. Very simple. Doesn't really tell you a whole lot about what's going on. So, but it intrigues you, right? Exploring the afterlife. I want to do that. And combined with the title, how could you not be interested? Mm-hmm. And also, if you, if you start dead, then you don't get killed several times during the game, which also, interestingly, is a thing that puts me off of playing a video game for a while. Particularly Breath of the Wild. If I run into something that I know I cannot kill, I will put it down because I don't want to die. <laughs> Same. I die so many times in video games. It's ridiculous. So much. Janine, is there like a... Can you describe like the poster for it for us? Ooh, that is something I didn't plan on doing, but I will definitely do that. Let me just pull it up. Is there a cute little character or something? So the audience can can get a picture. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so the cover art, the poster, if you will, for I Am Dead, you see a stretch of ocean with a lighthouse coming out of the ocean up on a rock. Uh, The lighthouse is striped red and white, and it's blue at the top. Off in the distance, you see the sunset with some clouds over the horizon and then a little island with what looks like a smoky volcano. That's what the poster looks like. Very calm, serene. Very cute. Yes. I see it in my head. The art style of this video game is super cute. Excellent. Yes. So yeah, single player puzzle adventure. Um, The developer is a British indie game developer called Hollow Ponds, and it was published by Annapurna Interactive. It was released October 8th, 2020, so several months into the COVID-19 pandemic. Kind of, I feel like it came at a good time for a lot of people, this calm, serene kind of game. As I mentioned earlier, it's on multiple platforms. So originally it was released for the Nintendo Switch and for Microsoft like Windows. That was it originally. But then August of 2021, they did a release for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Series S, which I'm not an Xbox person, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> Different consoles, I suppose. Basically, any platform you've got, modern console generation, you can play this game. If you've got a Windows PC, you can play it. The critical reception, it has 86% positive reviews on Steam. The PC version has a 77 on Metacritic, and the Switch version has a 79 on Metacritic, so pretty well received. But uh, what is the game about, you ask? Okay, so obviously the character that you're playing is dead. That's a dead giveaway in the title. Haha. <laughs> <Hey-o. laughs> hey. Okay, and so, and so this is where I think you're going to get really interested, Christia. And this is why I was interested in it as well when I read the more detailed description of the game. So specifically interesting. You play as Morris Lupton, who is the curator of the local museum on the fictional (laughs) on the fictional North Atlantic island of Shelmerston. Oh my god. Morris has (laughs) Sorry. So quaint. His name is Morris. (laughs) yeah he's got this like the character like the voice acting he's got this like subtly british very calm voice so it's just a very nice serene experience as you're going through the game 
Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. So obviously Morris has recently died and upon returning as a ghost to his beloved museum, he finds a small display dedicated to himself and his deceased dog, Sparky. Oh. Oh. We're already hitting the dead pets. We're hitting on the museum stuff. This game is so cute. Um, so by interacting with the urn of Sparky's ashes, which is in this display, you actually find her dog tag inside. And when you do that, Morris, you the player and Morris, is reunited with this ghostly pup. So she pops out and she informs him that the long dormant volcano on Shelmerston is getting restless and it will soon destroy the island. Oh no. <laughs> so it's a nice concertine and then all of a sudden, Bam. Stakes. Sparky, why? <laughs> Sparky, why? <laughs> At least it's not like that Seymour episode of Futurama. Oh, oh no. God. That is like... That's one a whole of... other episode of That's mortals. a guaranteed cry fest is what that yeah. is. <laughs> There's multiple Futurama episodes with death that I think we could do a medley on one day if we're all into it. <laughs> the Futurama medley. Like Futurama medley. That show made me cry so much. Dead so dog. Much. Oh my god. The Seymour episode <laughs> just fucking destroyed me. Yes. Uh, anyway, so this is a, a joyous reunion, and he wants to... Wow, my dog can talk. What is this? And she's like, okay, okay, Morris, we have stuff to do. We got shit to do. <laughs> so the volcano is becoming active again, and the reason for that is the island of Shelmerston has a spiritual custodian who is someone who has previously died. And that custodian is growing tired. So a successor must be found to stop the eruption. And then you might think, oh, well, Morris, perfect. You do it. <laughs> Apparently, there's a ghost code. Uh, and according to ghost code 3-42B, the new custodian must be dead for 1,000 days when they assume their new role. So this supposedly rules out our friend Morris, unfortunately. He's such a good dude, but... He hasn't been dead long enough, so Sparky tasks him with finding other people, other potential candidates, to become the custodian to save the island. So that is the impetus of the game. That's what you're setting out to do. Cute. So around you travel on Shelmerston, there are five potential candidates that you have to track down. And Morris has to persuade one of them to become custodian instead of journeying to quote-unquote, the West, which immediately as I was playing it, I was like, is this fucking Lord of the Rings? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Go to the Great Havens, into the West starts playing in my head. It's just a, a general term for a more settled portion of the afterlife, I suppose, once your earthly bonds are... You're, you're finished, basically, completely with Earth as ghost. You go into the West. It just makes you think of like when your dog dies and your parents tell you that it's gone upstate or it's gone gone to live on a farm or something. The dog went it's to gone, the farm. He's gone out west. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it has that kind of vibe, I suppose. Uh, so as you could, might imagine, being a puzzle game, a puzzle adventure game, the core function of the game is finding. You have to find things. So first, what you have to do is travel to an area that meant something to each of these five potential custodian candidates. And while you're there, you find people or sometimes animals who knew them. 
who had interacted with this person while they were alive. And they're identified, they have little thought bubbles coming out of their head. With your ghostly powers, you can enter these people's memories or these animals' memories and learn a little bit more about this deceased person, whether they just be someone they interacted with briefly or whether it's a loved one. And the memories really have a broad scope. So some of them are very personal. In one instance, it's a wife who's still alive and her husband's passed away. So you have memories like that. And then in another case, it's a cormorant, I believe. It's a bird perched on top of the lighthouse that I mentioned that's in the display cover art um, who interacted with the guy who lived at the lighthouse. So it's little things like that. It's really interesting in that way. So it's not just people, animals as well. That's really neat. I think so. And it's a really narrative heavy story. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that when I get to kind of my experience in my thinking on the gameplay, my perspective on it. Um, so you're going around finding these people who knew this deceased person. You have to find five of these people. And sometimes the same person will have multiple memories. And that's the case for the, the wife of the deceased man that I mentioned. And sometimes it's just five different people. Anyways, you find five memories. And then from each of those memories, they're tied to a particular object, which the game calls a memento, which you have to then find this object in the immediate surroundings of whatever particular landscape you're in at the time. And I'll get to that in a minute. First, you find the people, you observe their memories, and then you find the mementos that are part of those memories that tie that person to the deceased person. Once you have observed all five memories, and found all five mementos, Sparky will be able to sniff out the pieces of the person's soul or essence. I don't really know. I think there was a word, particular word that was used in the game. But anyways, she's a dog. By sniffing the object, she'll be able to find the pieces of their soul and kind of reassemble them in a way. Um, so Morris can start to talk to them and try to convince them to become the next custodian, essentially. What a good girl. Right? This dog is so lovely. She's such a sweet, sweet pup. What type of dog is she? I don't know. She has a very pointy nose, though. It's a very mm. cartoony game. So I don't know if she's actually modeled on a particular dog breed or if it's just, here, I drew a dog. She's just, she's just good girl shaped. Yes, exactly. Um, so I don't want to get too much into the narrative and the story because that's honestly a lot of the fun of playing the game. I find that most of the usefulness of the time isn't in the game mechanics itself. Like that's not what's fun and interesting about the game. It's more about going through this process and learning about these people and then going to learn about somebody else. And it's just kind of putting together a history of the island in a way through learning about the people. Which I was is just what, about to say. Which is what museums do. <laughs> which is what we're all about, is uh, piecing together the parts of people's lives so that we can better understand them as a whole. But we also understand that, you know, we'll never truly know, well, you can never really tr truly know a person, even when they're live and breathing in front of you. That's just my personal belief. But yeah, I just, I'm sorry, I got really excited when he started saying that. <laughs> Yes. That's what is so fun about history, and I think is why we are all 
that's why I'm drawn to putting this podcast together is because we can talk about people and talk about their that we can talk about the memories that they have left behind and yeah okay you're hyping me up for this game (laughs) it's available for pc maybe you should get it it's not super expensive because it's an indie game so Mm. um so just briefly i want to talk about some of the the custodians the or not the custodians they're referred to as guardians um i want to talk about the five people that we hunt down as the team of morris and sparky and the different locations that you get to go to around and on Shelmerston. So the first place that you go is Yaps Head Lighthouse, which I've mentioned. It's on the poster and I mentioned previously. Um, And the caretaker of the lighthouse is Pete Noach. And I want to read a little description that the game gives of each of these people. So I'm just taking the text directly from the game itself. So this says, Pete arrived on Shelmerston to take the job of lighthouse keeper. He led a solitary life for several years, seldom visiting the town and speaking only rarely before opening the lighthouse as a yoga retreat with the help of a robot called M. That is so charming. Already so colorful. A robot. So there's a robot memory in this part of the game. Somehow I didn't clock this as being a place that would have robots. Right? It feels like, it sounds like a very pastoral sort of island. I didn't imagine there being a robot on this island. When I started playing it, I didn't either. And there, it gets weirder, but I used weird in a good way. So just very briefly, a couple of the items, the mementos that pop up for Pete Note. There's a puzzle cube, which is a Rubik's cube. A conspicuous gallantry cross. A grapefruit tree. uh, A golf tee. And a lost Buddha statue. So those are the five objects. Oh. And I just want your imaginations to run for a second about what that can tell you about Pete. It's interesting, too, because that's such a... I think when storytellers think about characters, we tend to think in kind of grand sweeping statements about what a person is like without getting into the nitty gritty. But I remember hearing a piece of writing advice years ago, and I don't remember where it's from, but the idea that the bigger an idea is, the smaller you write it. And it's also a really good concrete way of demonstrating something is using just like tactile daily things. Like the things you would interact with on a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. as a way of, of conveying character. I could jump in. Oh, sure. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Well, I've got, two, I've got two thoughts. One is kind of from the writing perspective. So... Some of my, all of my favorite stories, the big thing is that they have small moments when they're telling the story for the kind of allow the characters to breathe. So, you know, we see their living situation and we are able to relate to them better. We see where they live and we see where they sleep. And it just like, to me, that's always like, that's always kind of something where I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this character because I know more about them. I know kind of a little bit about like their daily routine and I feel like I know them more as a person but on the material culture side every object has a story and sometimes it's only a piece of a story but this is a really cool way of talking about material culture especially in historical or archaeological contexts as well so that's very very cool and really leaning into Morris's role as or previous role as a curator so yes absolutely very cool I was like, Christina's going to love this. <laughs> and that's and you were right. That's the thing that really struck me about playing the game is 
that it's not just about the objects. It's about what the people can tell you about the objects in relation to the deceased person. Right. So it's not just an object itself having a meaning. It's the meaning that's imparted upon it by the interaction of these two people and the story that can be told from it, which is artifacts, bread and butter. What can it tell you about the people? It's not just the object itself. It's the interactions and how they used it. And was it tossed in the ocean and it had to be recovered, which is true for some of these objects. Uh, Really cool. And it just got me thinking about that. And maybe I have more of that perspective on this game than players who don't work in the museum setting. But I thought it was a really nice touch And I don't know if the writers or game developers have any experience working in museums or know people that work in museums to add that kind of level of narrative detail, but I really, really appreciated it. Mm -hmm. Just kind of going back to what Mariah said, it just seems like a good writing thing. If a character has like a specific object or something like attributed with them, or like if there's like an object and a story that is like symbolic of like a relationship, like I find that that's like in a show don't tell sort of way but I have a lot of feelings about objects they're really great at telling stories if you can talk to the people who know stuff about them mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, so that's great I don't want to go through every single object associated with each of these people but I do want to go through and read give you the little different character flares and then there's one of the characters that I do want to talk a little bit more about because I love them <laughs> Okay, so the second place you go is called the Sculpture Garden, and the deceased person there that you're looking for is named Valerie Outram. Valerie was the daughter of Henry Outram, the Laird of Shelmerston. Her mother died when Valerie was little, and she was always independent, roaming the grounds of Shelmerston Hall and exploring the island. In the early 90s, her father converted Shelmerston Hall into an artist commune and recently opened the grounds as a sculpture park. So we have a lighthouse keeper, an artist. Next we have in Old Town you'll find pieces and memories and mementos of Ogden Beckett. Ogden was a talented multi-instrumentalist, leader of the Shelmerston Silver Band, and keen cricketer. As a young man he went to live in New Zealand but returned to marry his childhood sweetheart Sally Mapes. So this is the husband and wife that I mentioned earlier and you get I think two I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly two memories from Sally because there were obviously a lot of memories there and a lot of objects associated with the two of them. Um, Next, you'll go to the Nab Hill campsite, where you're trying to find stuff associated with Greg Litherland. Greg ran Nab Hill campsite, where his prickly demeanor and insistence on rules were notorious. He was keen bird watcher, nature lover, and campaigner for the protection of Morlows, which is fictional, like a walrus or seal kind of creature, in the ocean because it's an an Atlantic island and there's like a hunt that goes on Mm. on the island historically for these creatures. And so modern environmentalist movements, I think this is what this story beat is kind of modeled after trying to save the Morlows. It continues about Greg Litherland, a huge fan of Scheller racing. Greg captured the excitement of the sport with his photographs, which is basically a sport where people put on giant conch shells and run on the beach to see who can win. So like they're blind running <laughs> is what I gathered from playing the game. It was hilarious. 
Oh my that god. That sounds amazing. Can we make this a real sport? <laughs> we'll just get big paper mache conches. Yes. See if that sounds like the ocean while you're running and screaming blind down the beach. Yes. So there's a lot of fun little things along the way that you just like pick up on the culture and what's going on in this island through discovering these objects and talking or not talking to these people, but as Morris going into these people's memories. So it really paints a picture of what life is like on the island. And then the fifth person that you need to hunt down, um, and this is my favorite, is their name is Samphire, who is a non-binary fish folk. Oh, hell yeah. Oh. Yes. So this is where it gets a little weird. Not only is there a robot in the lighthouse, but there's uh, like anthropomorphized animal people, a la like Bojack Horseman and those kind of people. <laughs> like that's what you think of. Um, but the fish folk are really prolific because it's a an island community. Yeah. So Samphire... Samphire lived to be about 106 years old, according to the lifespan that they're given, 1904 to 2010. Um, and I'll just read a little bio that they gave Samphire. One of the fish folk, Sam was one of the first of their kind to fully integrate with the ways of the land, taking a position of responsibility as Shelmerston's harbor controller. Sam played an important part in helping the island to retain its own identity in the face of industrialization and tourism. They were an integral member of the Save the Morlow movement. Which, no surprise, as a fish folk, trying to save the fishies. And I'm going to pull up Samphire's mementos, because they're super cute. So there's a carved, polished stone, a cuttlefish carving, a Save the Morlow patch, a sheep shank special reserve, which is an alcohol, and toast. Just a particular <laughs> piece of toast? Just toast. So you find it in a toaster. And the memory that this comes from is another of their fish folk friends who Samphire invites this friend up onto dry land. And because the fish folk are so used to eating wet, soggy things. This fish folk is so enamored with the crunchy, crispy toast. <laughs> and apparently on Shelmerston, there's like a restaurant that toast is their specialty. And when you go into it, there's toasters everywhere in the shop. <laughs> so this fish folk named Gkh, I don't know if it's pronounced right, but it's G-K-K-H. That's the fish folk's name. He doesn't have any money that they will accept, but he sweeps their floors in order to receive delicious toast. And it <laughs> is the most adorable memory to go through. I absolutely loved it. I'm glad that it's toast in general, because you did say one of the, according to ghost law, they have to have been dead for a thousand years. And I was just like, thousand day or a thousand days. Days, yeah. I was yeah. like, thousand day old toast? <laughs> no! I mean, it does become one of the dry... It just becomes a giant crouton if it's toasted correctly. Yes. But toast Sorry. is the driest, crunchiest, crummiest food. But the Gurk loves it. And that's how Gurk remembers Samphire. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Are all of these characters who are deceased, are they all, like, different ages? Or are they all older? Or... 
Ah, well, let's see. I guess the birth years will give us the best indication of that. So Pete is given 1956 as his birth year. Valerie, 1978. Ogden Beckett, 1948. Greg, 1969. And then Samphire was 1904. So very long-lived. Like, middle-aged... Yeah, Valerie is the youngest, born in 1978 and died in 2015, 37, if my math is correct. Okay. So yeah, you get a a little bit of a spread there. Almost middle-aged to, well, I don't know how fish folk age, but, so I don't want to call Samfire elderly, but... I think according to the game, they have about double the lifespan of humans or so so they were not elderly when they died but anyways as you might have guessed by the fact that morris needs to go to all five of these people they are not saying yes to becoming the custodian of the island Uh, and we're getting into spoiler territory here so if you really want to play the game before you find out anything more go play it it honestly, it took me about four hours to complete the game. I sat through it in one sitting. It was amazing. Spoilers. From here on out. So all of them have said no. It looks like the island's in danger. And Sparky says, okay, we've got one last person to see. We've got to go see Aggie, who along the way we have learned is the current island custodian. So the person that needs to retire, basically, from being the custodian because she's very tired. Morris says, well, where will we be able to find Aggie? Sparky says, you've met her, or at least you've been around her. She's at the museum. We're getting into putting putting bodies on display territory here. Oh, dear. Yes. Uh, So I'll read Aggie's description here. Aggie lived some 3,000 years ago during the Bronze Age, during which time the volcano which formed Shelmerston was active. Her body was uncovered in a peat bog on the slopes of Shelmerston Peak and is now on display in the Shelmerston Museum. So we have to return to the Shelmerston Museum and there are other skulls on display that start showing the little thought bubbles. (laughs) And then you go into the skulls get into the memories, find some objects, all of which are in the museum. So the game didn't treat this super tactfully. I can't remember exactly the dialogue, but it basically came off as Morris removed, and this archaeological excavation removed the body from its resting place, and now it seems the island is unhappy. I don't know, that's how it came off to me. Um, So it seems like he created a problem But then the dialogue kind of brushes it off as, I think Sparky says, like, oh, I mean, Aggie won't mind. And eventually, once you've collected all these pieces, Sparky's able to reassemble Aggie and you talk to her. And I guess she's okay with it. But how could the museum know that? (laughs) They're displaying her uh, basically mummified by peat bog remains. So that's not so cool. At least from our perspective here on Mortal's Podcast, uh, displaying human remains in a museum. It is a main feature. It's like got its own special area in the back of the Shelmerston Museum. Um, 
and they're using it to talk about the Bronze Age history of the island. But yes, there's, I was particularly um, put off by the little, like the row of skulls on display and they looked Mm -hmm. like they weren't in, (laughs) they weren't in a case. They were freestanding skulls. Anybody can just touch them. It was weird. Oh my goodness, you guys. That is not good museum display, especially for human (laughs) remains. We end up talking to Aggie. They have a conversation and we're, we're at like getting close to the ending here. And this is where it became really unsatisfying to me as a game because the narrative was not wrapped up. Perhaps wrapped up very, very, very ambiguously. So <laughs> the whole impetus of the game has been you are trying to stop the volcano from erupting because you're trying to find a custodian. Um, and supposedly Morris can't do it because he hasn't been dead for a thousand days. There's no resolution on whether Morris specifically explicitly becomes the island's custodian. Aggie definitely leaves finally to go into the West. So she's no longer custodian, but because it's not explicitly stated that Morris is custodian, not in dialogue, at least the closest we get is basically Aggie saying, well, the Island chose you like it chose me. So that's about as close as we get, but I was left feeling like, did none of that matter? Did it not? Was it the ghost code 3-42B a lie the whole time? And I'm, I've started to think that, particularly because the through the journey, Morris is very kind of down on himself. He feels like nobody remembers him. Um, and then he goes through all these people's memories and see how many people remember other people and the objects and all of that. So he starts feeling a little bit more positive, like, oh, maybe you remember me. And Sparky kind of lifts up his spirit saying, you dedicated your life to the museum and the people of Shelmerston and the island and telling the history and all that. So I wasn't satisfied because it wasn't explicitly stated and resolved how we were going to keep the volcano from erupting. It's very ambiguously implied, as I said, but it wasn't super satisfying it would have just needed honestly one line of dialogue just to tie it up with a bow and leave you feeling peaceful instead of, oh, that's the end. That was kind of how I felt was like, oh, but what about the volcano? Is the island, could it be destroyed? But honestly, along the way, all of the charming bits really, really made up for it. Do we know how any of these people died? That's a good question. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a little while since I played it. And just to give myself a refresher for this podcast recording, I played a little bit of it. I didn't play the whole thing over again. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I don't think it really addresses how any of the five died. It definitely addresses how Aggie dies. Yeah. The reason I ask is I'm like, how long has Sparky been dead? And does Sparky become the new... <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where I thought that was going. The new too. caretaker. Well, actually, there's a, there's a lot of um, narrative details that I've left out just for brevity. But yeah. somewhere along the way, Sparky kind of hints at that, yes, I'm Sparky, but I'm not just Sparky. And then you uh, get towards the end and it's said that Sparky is also the spirit of the island. Oh. And then this is where it's very ambiguously tied up. With a bow is that because Morris 
continues to care for Sparky in their ghostly afterlife that Morris is kind of implied to be taking care of the island. But like I said, there's no line. So it wasn't, it was like an unexpected ending. And I thought there would be a little more. So Sparky is dog and island, I guess. Sparky is nature. I guess. I guess. If you want to look at it that way. Um, But yeah, like I said, still... A super cute, adorable, charming game. I can't get over the toast. <laughs> I can't get over it. It's so adorable. I'll never look at toast the same way again. So crispy and crunchy toast. He has a really <laughs> adorable like the voice acting is super adorable too, so Well I'm I'm sold. Go play it. It's worth it. Even though you kind of you know the ending already, like just go learn about Shalmerston through Morris's adventure. I see that it's on Steam, so maybe it's just like a couple dollars or something. I'll I'll give it a playthrough. That sounds super super fun, and you were absolutely right. Um, I wasn't really sure what to expect with this game. My partner is playing or was recently playing a game called Belonging that was all about like waiting, and you were trying to make time pass for this like little. I was, I only know, I only looked over, like, his shoulder when I was, so I don't know much about it, but I was, I had that stuck in my brain, so I was Mm. expecting something like that. Yeah, I really, it was not what I was expecting, but it sounds very fun, and it sounds very much like a good game for people who are interested in historical material culture. It seems really fun, and... Despite the somewhat unsatisfactory ending from the sounds of it, it sounds just like a good time. It's very chill. Yeah. Yeah. A lighthearted take on death. Yeah, exactly. You will be remembered. Exactly. From the sounds of it, too, one of the things that really strikes me is the uh, mementos with it, right? The whole memento mori sort of thing. But that's one of the things that people are really left to physically grapple with when they lose somebody depending on how close you are is you know the estate is that person's things and the reminders right like the way that a spouse might keep uh, a lost spouse's unfinished book on the side table because what do you do put it away when they don't know how it ended sort of thing like how do you deal with you know toothbrushes and old jewelry and photos that you can't name anybody and sort of thing. And so I think that's an interesting aspect of it, too, is that it deals with material culture, but also in, in the very immediate sense, long before it's necessarily a, a, a historical, like, curated object, but in that it's yeah. personally historical, that it holds history and that it holds kind of parts of that person's life because it meant something. It was something they utilized or that they loved or that they carried for a long time. And so I think that's a really thoughtful way of helping players begin to touch some of those very real and very tangible pieces of grief that I don't think most kind of bereavement advice really touches on, is that there is a a physical thing to grapple with, and it's the physical things in your life that are anchored in other people and shared experiences. Because objects aren't just tightly packed atoms, right? They're... They have symbolic status. Sometimes they ha- we attribute things to them. They have a mythic status. Um, and they are important to us and, and yeah. to the people that we lose and, and the people that love us. So, 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and I get so caught up in well, my job. <laughs> um, that yeah, that I think that that's like a really important distinction to be made because even just like in my house that I share with my partner are there are so many little things that each of us kind of like even though we have like kind of distinct spaces like there's so many little things that I'm just like oh well he was here and he did x where you know if one of us were to pass on there would be reminders absolutely everywhere in items like that would not be very consequential on a day-to-day basis but you know if the other person is gone it's like oh well their half-eaten toast is all still on the counter or you know this fork that they used this morning or their spoon to stir their coffee so I think yeah that's a really interesting take on it that I hadn't considered because my head is full of artifacts toast I, yeah, well, that's fair, too, because you guys both work with museum stuff, but when I think of, of material culture after death, I think of my mom dealing with the estate of her mother and of her father when they both died several years apart, but she was still dealing with her mom's estate when her dad died, you know, over 10 years later. And, you know, my cousins when their dad died and that sort of thing, that kind of washout. And even after, like, when my parents separated, there was a lot of physical shit caught in the middle the night that I found out my parents were divorcing I went and pilfered all of the family uh, (laughs) photo books for uh, family photos because my head was full of hallmark moments of divorced couples tearing apart photos and I was like no that can't happen and I also I was an overdramatic 14 year old Uh, yeah so uh, different life experiences informing different reactions to things right and I'm sure that other people listening to this or having played this game will have even more diverse reactions to that aspect of grief processing and even just as like a almost like a click and find puzzle as just being like ah it's satisfying to find things and put them where they belong <laughs> it's all that and more so i highly highly recommend the game um hopefully you got it you listeners got a little different perspective on it and why it resonated with me so much not only as someone who is interested and curious about death and all that kind of stuff but also as a museum person and a history person uh it really hit a lot of hit a lot of notes for me that were good so highly recommend super cute game great to just sit down for an afternoon and you don't have to power through it i guess that's the i was gonna say it that way but just like sit with it and enjoy it as you're playing through it and I bet you won't be disappointed. Mortals Podcast is created, hosted, and edited by three morbidly curious individuals, Christia, Mariah, and Janine. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Mortals, on Instagram at Mortals underscore podcast, and on our website, mortalspodcast.com. Show your support, access bonus content, and help us keep ads out of your ears by joining our community at patreon.com slash mortalspodcast. Our music is A Mermaid's Eulogy by Etienne Roussel. Thanks for listening, mortals. Take care of yourselves out there. I am dead. 
I just kind of want to mislead people a little bit. Janine's dead. How is she podcasting right now? There's a ghost on this podcast. Well, we're all... There's all a ghost inside of all of us. We're all a ghost inside of a meat machine. That's so accurate. (laughs) We're channeling Janine to this podcast to tell us about the afterlife. (laughs) Janine's now the podcast ghost. Oh my god. (laughs) How will I ever live up to this?